those of you that are able, uh, please stand. Uh, we're going to read this morning Luke uh, chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burden with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. You are witnesses, you consent to deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Thus be the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you all here today, uh, whether you're here uh, in person or whether you're here in, uh, virtually through allowing me into your home. Uh, it's an honor to be able to encourage you and even to encourage myself by reminding ourselves of the goodness of our God and bringing us into God's word where we all need to go in times like this. You know, this past week, I took a group of students to Honey Path, South Carolina for our mission trip. And one group had the opportunity to go to a lady who was in hospice. And as she was there in her home getting ready to die, they sang with her, Amazing Grace. As she lay there, they sang with her these words, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've first begun. And this was a powerful moment for the students to see the power of the gospel in the face of death. And right now, as we in this world are dealing with death and fear in this pandemic, 
we need this. We need this time to come and to ground ourselves in the goodness of God and the gospel. But I struggled with the passage that I was given. Dan has planned this out a while ago and gave me this passage. And this passage at first was one that I didn't think really fit to this moment. It's a lot of woes, a lot of judgment. And I considered asking if I should switch, and maybe it would have been better, but I think that providentially God has called us to this passage. And I do think this passage can speak to us something that is important for us to see. Because I think in this passage what Jesus shows us is how we respond reveals what matters. How we respond reveals our hearts. And every trial that we go through is really a a test, an opportunity to to have our heart exposed to us. And it's not that God needs to see our heart. He knows it. But it's us that need to see our heart. And God shows us in times like this what our heart is like so that we can see it, so that we can repent of it, so that our heart would be conformed to his And in this season, as we are in a time where we're taken out of our comforts, our idols, our patterns, our habits that that we've created and that we cling to, these changes that will have to come will reveal to us our hearts and what matters most to us as we deal with the effects of this pandemic. But if you're like me, you don't want that. If you're like me, you don't want to see your heart. You don't want to deal with change. You don't want to deal with problems. It's like how you can ignore a check engine light in your car. Because you don't want to take it in and find out there's a big problem that has to be dealt with. But that is what Jesus does in this passage. He lovingly confronts the Pharisees and the lawyers to expose to them the heart that they have. So that they could be healed. Today as we reflect upon this passage, that's the the main theme. The, The outline is this, that it's not hygiene, but hypocrisy that kills holiness. It's not hygiene but hypocrisy that kills holiness. But before we begin, it's wise for me to pray that God would use this time for us gathered here and gathered virtually to draw us close to him. I invite you to pray along with me in your heart. God of all creation, Lord of the universe, you who are above us and yet with us, may your presence comfort us in this time of uncertainty. And may your spirit give us the peace we need in this time of worship to reflect upon you and your glory, to be able to see it and to hear it and to treasure it. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So this passage begins with an issue of hygiene. Jesus was invited to eat with a Pharisee, and he he goes in and he gets settled in his spot to eat. And and as he's getting ready to eat, the Pharisee is astonished. He's shocked because Jesus did not wash before he sat down to eat. Now, this is a good time to not follow Jesus' example. This is not a WWJD verse to take in this time, because Jesus' actions are not about hygiene here. It's about a heart. Jesus is doing this intentionally, knowing that it would shock. He's been around the Pharisees his whole life. He knows their customs. He's eaten with them before. He knows that they always do these ceremonial washings 
before dinner. These washings were not a way that they kind of dealt with germs, but they were a way that they dealt with defilement. The Pharisees were these people that were rigorous, radical in their obedience of God, and, and they wanted to take the Old Testament law and make sure that every aspect of it was lived out in their life. And so they would consider the laws and seek to apply them fully and finally to make sure that, that they didn't bring any sense of defilement inside. And so they knew that God had called his people to be clean and to, to set aside unclean things, to not be exposed to unclean things. And so they, they knew that, well, as I'm walking along, it may be that a fly brushes against my hand, and that's an unclean thing. Or, or maybe I accidentally touched something that a Gentile touched, and, and so I'm taking in a sense of uncleanliness from that accidental defilement. And so they said, well, in order to really obey God, I better wash just to be on the safe side. And that's why they would wash before meals to, to make sure that they didn't accidentally break God's law, that they didn't accidentally defile themselves by allowing something unclean to get inside of them. But this wasn't a command that God had given them. This is something that they inferred from the text. This was a tradition that they had created and a desire to be very certain that they were obeying God. And they spent a lot of energy making sure that, that they were externally and ceremonially clean because they believed that this was vital in order to stay in God's good graces. They would spend a lot of energy making sure that they wouldn't do anything wrong that would cause them to be unacceptable to God because they thought that's how they kept in a good relationship with him. And so they look at Jesus as this, this teacher who is here with them, and, and he's not washing his hands. And they think, whoa, this guy is lax on the law. This guy just, just must not care about being right with God if he's not washing. He must not really be radical, taking this stuff seriously. But Jesus was doing it because he wanted to pastorally reveal something to them, that they were missing the point that they were putting their energy in the wrong place, that they were, they were worried about being defiled by something on the outside, but they were missing their heart, and the way that their heart was the real problem. So Jesus responds to the astonishment of the Pharisee by saying to them this in verse 39, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the outside of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Here Jesus gets right to the point. This Pharisee and the others like him that are at this meal are spending a great amount of time and energy on the, the cleanliness of things outside. But the uncleanliness inside is being ignored. They were worried about accidentally being defiled when they were allowing a defilement to happen inside. And Jesus tells them that, that you are missing where the real danger is. It's not in accidentally having a fly touch your hand. But the real danger is that your heart is already owned by greed, already owned by wickedness, a desire to sin. And Jesus wants them to stop focusing on these externalities so that they would instead see the real danger is inside. That is what will kill them. That is what will kill their holiness, not failing to wash up. And it's not that Jesus is against traditions or that he's against the law or even good hygiene. He's against traditionalism. He's against legalism. And that ism is the important thing because that ism says that these things are what save us. Our traditions save us. Our laws save us. 
And what that tells us is as long as we are doing this rightly, we're okay. As long as we're doing what the people that tell us to do, we're okay. As long as we do what God wants us to do, we are okay. But this fosters a belief that I am accepted because of what I have done. And that message is not just bad Christian teaching, it's actually anti-Christian teaching. And so Jesus wants to condemn this error in the Pharisees because they are thinking that they are okay because of what they have done. And he wants them to see that the true way that they honor God is not by what they have done, but by bringing to him their heart. But this focus on what we do and not the heart is an easy thing for us to slip into. It's something that I see the, the fruit of a lot as a campus minister. As a campus minister, I'm on kind of the front lines of getting to see people walk away from their faith. And, and one of the messages that I hear a lot is that people walk away because of this idea that someone is good because of what they do. One way I see this is with uh, people who will come and tell me, Chuck, I can't believe in God because of the virtuous unbeliever. So they'll tell me that there's this person that they know that is really good. They do really good things. They love people well. They love God's creation well. They're, they're sacrificing, but they don't believe in Jesus. And they will say, Chuck, I can't believe in a God who would condemn this person just because they don't believe in Jesus. Or they'll, they'll point out Gandhi and say, Chuck, how could a good God condemn Gandhi to hell who did such good things for this world just because he doesn't believe in Jesus? That seems cruel. That seems unjust. But did you see the assumption behind that? The assumption behind that idea? The assumption behind that is that these persons are good because of what they have done. That God has to accept them because of what they have done. And that is the, the lie that we often believe, that what you do makes you acceptable to God. That if you do enough good, God must accept you. God must be acceptable to God because of what he did. Or this person that is so good must be acceptable because of what they have done. We even see this in the TV show, The Good Place, that, that many of you may have watched, where you get into the good place or heaven because of a tally of scores of the good things you did in life. And this is the way that the Pharisees were, were thinking, that, that they could tally up their good, that what they had done on the outside would make them acceptable to God. And if that was true the Pharisees would be the first in line for heaven. They did a lot more good than any of us have. They were diligent, as Jesus says, in tithing, even giving to the, the smallest bit of the, the mint and the rue in their garden. They were diligent in giving to the poor. Jesus acknowledges that they gave alms. That's a, a sacrificial giving to those who were in need. They lived their life focused on doing good. And Jesus does not fault them on the good that they have done, but he faults them because he says that they have not ultimately given their hearts to God. You see, no matter how hard you try to live a good life, no matter how hard you try to do the right thing, if you do not give your heart to God, then it is, according to Jesus, like drinking a cup that's clean on the outside, but has poison inside. You're missing the important thing. And Jesus wants them to see that God does not want their outward obedience. He wants their heart. And so look at verse 41. He says, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. What is it that he's saying here? Alms, again, is that, that giving food or money to the poor in a sacrificial way, in a, in a way that costs that you felt. 
And Jesus is saying, yes, give to the poor. Give like that outwardly, but don't just give your money sacrificially. But give your heart that way. Give your heart in a way that costs, that you feel. And that is what makes you clean. That is what makes you acceptable to God, to take your heart and say, I'm not holding it back for myself, but I'm giving it to God. And this is an idea that the Jewish people would know from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, where David is is seeing his own sin, seeing his own insufficiency, he cries out to God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then he goes on to say, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's what God wants from us. That is what it looks like to give God your heart. It is to say, I am unclean. Will you clean me? I am not good. Only you can make me good. It's not looking to our own strength, our own wisdom, our own traditions, our own obedience, our own goodness as what makes us okay with God. It is giving ourselves to him, allowing him to create in us the clean heart we need. Goodness does not get you to the good place. Giving up gets you to the good place. Because when you give up, you give God your heart. And this is so important for us in this season to remember. Because in a fearful time, what we tend to do is want to protect our heart, protect ourself. I saw this in the midst of the the realization of this coronavirus scare. I spent several hours driving to stores or or checking online to look for Lysol or Clorox wipes. And as you know, if you looked, they're gone, right? And I began to see in my heart a sense of anxiety. That if I don't have these wipes, then my family's in danger. If I don't have these wipes, I'm in danger. And that anxiety was growing in my heart that that says, I got to care for me. But in the midst of this anxiety, I happened to be reading Psalm 27, and and I read, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I realized in that moment, my heart did not reflect the belief that God was the stronghold of my life. My heart Anxiety said, I have to guard myself. I have to protect myself. I have to protect my heart, my family, my life. But Psalm 27 pierced my heart and said, who is your stronghold? Who is your refuge? Is it yourself or is it God? God in that time revealed to me a bit of my heart. That I want to hold it. That I want to trust in me. And so again, I had to give it to him and say, my life is yours. I don't need Clorox to be my refuge. I need you to be my refuge. And to ask him to help me not to live out a heart of fear, but a heart of love. But we don't want to give God our heart. The Pharisees did not want to give God their heart. And the reason that they don't want to give their heart to God is because they were hypocrites. Hypocrisy is something that prevents us from giving God our heart. 
because hypocrisy blinds us to our real need. And this is important to see. It's important to realize that hypocrisy blinds you. And this is what happened to the, the Pharisees, and we see this in the, the way that Jesus calls them fools in verse 40. You see, a fool in the Old Testament is one who is blind to God, who's blind to God's will, blind to God's ways. And Jesus calls them fools to say that, that you are blind to God. You're blind to his will, you're blind to his way because you are focusing on something that doesn't matter and missing what really matters. Hypocrisy is like a blind spot when you're driving. I'm sure you've had this experience where you kind of take a quick glance in the mirror and you think you're fine and you go over a lane and all of a sudden someone honks and you realize there was someone right there. They were in your blind spot. Hypocrisy is like that. We, we think that we're safe. We think that we're okay and we think we can move, but there's something that we don't see. And, and Jesus says the Pharisees and the lawyers are like that. They have a, a blind spot. They are blind by their hypocrisy. And that idea of hypocrisy or a hypocrite comes from the Greek drama world. It's a, a phrase that, that talked about how they would portray themselves with masks as opposed to what really is going on underneath, they would allow the masks to interpret to the audience who they were and what they were like. And that's what hypocrisy is like. It's not concerned with the heart. It's not concerned with what's underneath, but it's concerned with the appearance, what is seen by others. You're performing for the audience. So a hypocrite can look good on the outside. You would look at a hypocrite or a Pharisee or a lawyer and say, well, that is a great person. This is a blind spot. It misses something. It's missing what God sees. And, and this is why it's a dangerous thing. This is why Jesus says, woe. Jesus uses this phrase, woe, seven times in this passage. And, and this word, woe, is a, a word that is a lament. Woe, or, or some of your translations makes alas, is a cry of pain, a cry of pity, a cry of misfortune. Sometimes we use the expression, woe is me. And what is that saying? It's, I am feeling that sense of misfortune, that sense of, of bad things are on me. But, but Jesus doesn't say, woe is me. He says, woe to you, to the Pharisees, because he sees that they are blind to the danger in front of them. He cries, woe to you, as a way to help them to see that they are on a path of danger that he wants to rescue them from. He says, woe to you, in verse 42, to these terrific tithers. They were not commanded to take 10% of their herbs in their garden and to give it to God, but they did it. Here they're going above and beyond, but because they were being generous with their gardens, they thought that they were generous people. But Jesus wants them to see that they're blind to their heart. They're blind to true generosity, a heart that gives willingly and lovingly. And so Jesus says, yes, give the, the, the mint, give the rue, give the things in your garden, but don't stop there because he says, you have neglected justice and the love of God. There's a deeper aspect of generosity that they weren't giving. They were giving to meet a standard that they had set for themselves. They were giving not to please God, but to please their traditions, to tr please the law. But Jesus says they're ultimately neglecting a love of God in their giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus tells the story a few chapters later in Luke of the widow who gives two mites, two pennies. She gave in her poverty all she had, 
because she wanted to give God everything. But someone could have seen that and said, well, that's cheap. That's all she's giving, just two pennies? Why even bother? That's not going to make a difference. But Jesus said she gave more that day than anyone else. Even the rich people that dropped loads of money in, her gift was greatest. Why? Because she was giving sacrificially. She was giving out of a love for God. And no matter the amount that others may have given, her gift was the biggest of that day because she gave her heart. But the Pharisees did not give that way. They did not give out of their heart. They did not give out of a love for God. They gave out of a love of goodness to do the right thing, to be seen as holy. One of my friends who's a pastor says, if I ever want to hide in Christianity, all I have to do is give a lot of money and no one will bother me. There's an aspect of truth to that, right? That, that we think that because we give a lot, that that gives us a pass. But that isn't generosity. Just because you give to the church does not mean you have a generous heart. When I first was beginning to raise money to work with RUF, I, I called a man in my home church who was known for evangelism. And I thought, surely of all the people, he's going to want to talk to me, want to listen to me, want to help me. He was my very first phone call, and I called him thinking that he would encourage me in this process. And the second that I mentioned that I was raising support, he began to chew me out on the phone for daring to ask him because he was already giving to the church. Maybe I caught him at a bad time. But that crushed me. That crushed me because I didn't see a heart of generosity. I saw a heart of greed. He didn't want to care for me. He didn't want to say, I can't give. I'm sorry. Let me pray for you. He just was angry that I would dare ask. And that is the hearts that we have to guard against. Thinking that just because we give already, when someone asks us, how dare they? We think because we're doing something already, we're off the hook. If you tithe, you can think you're generous, but if you tithe, then you're not generous with your home. You're not generous with your time. You're not generous with your things. What does that say about the heart behind your giving? If you tithe, but you do not pay your employees well. If you tithe, then you look down on those who are needy. If you tithe, and, and someone asks you uh, for something, and you begrudgingly do that, what does it say about your heart? Or perhaps you, you give generously, but then you expect others to give generously to you. And when someone says no, you flip out, you get angry, you judge them. What does that say about your heart? That you expect others to give back. Does that show a heart of generosity? We can easily give out of a sense of duty, out of obligation, out of traditionalism or legalism. But Jesus says, woe to you. Watch out. Don't allow the fact that you give to mean that you are generous. But look at your heart. Do you see generosity coming out? And this is a time where so many people are hoarding. I read an article about a man that bought up every single antibiotic hand wash he could find just so that he could charge an exorbitant amount on Amazon. This is what people may do in these times, but we are called to be generous, to give out of our poverty to those who are in need, not out of our abundance. But so often we let ourselves off the hook. And so Jesus says, watch out. You can be blind to what your heart is really like unless you see it, unless you watch it. And the truth is, is the reason that we often do things is so that we can get noticed. And this is what Jesus points out in the Pharisees in verse 43. 
When he says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. And this woe shows that, that they're blinded by the idea of their reputation. That people say they're good and so they believe that they are good. People would say, hey, no, sit up here. You're, you're so good. We want you right at the front of the congregation. And they love that. That encouraged them to do more good because they wanted that feedback that you are good. And this is a way that we could be blind to our own hearts by focusing on the outward. But Jesus says this is a danger. It's a danger to rest and rely on your reputation. It's a danger to allow the way that you are perceived to be what is a reflection of your heart. But so often we don't look at our heart because we're too often measuring ourselves in comparison to those that are around us. Measuring ourselves based on what others are doing. And this is a good test for hypocrisy. A quick test is if during the sermon you're thinking about who needs to see that they're a hypocrite. Who you hope is listening in. That's how hypocrisy blinds us. It turns our attention away from our own heart to evaluate others' performances. But Jesus did not see the Pharisees just as the only hypocrites. He sees the lawyers there as well as being hypocrites. And these lawyers were more like theologians than attorneys. They would interpret and teach the Old Testament to the people, and they thought that they were being helpful because of this. But Jesus says to them, whoa, watch out. You're loading people with burdens that are hard to bear, and yourself don't touch these burdens. And here Jesus sees the way that, that we can use our knowledge to blind ourselves to our responsibility. Sometimes our knowledge can be a way that we can be hypocritical. And this is a big challenge in, in churches that emphasize studying and knowing the Bible because even though those are good things, we can think because we know them, we do them. But that's not the same, is it? Or we can judge others for the way that they particularly worship or pray or their theology, thinking that they don't have the good that we have. And it's not that we shouldn't judge and reflect upon others, but, but we can often compare ourselves to others in a way that puts us in a superior position and blinds us to the way that we need to refine our own heart to live out what we teach. And we can be blind to our own heart's resistance to God because we don't think we need to listen to him anymore because we got it just right. But the way that we fight hypocrisy, the way that we deal with this is to listen to what God says. What breeds hypocrisy, what ultimately will kill holiness, is rejecting God's voice. And this is what Jesus points out at the end of this passage to the lawyers. The lawyers respond to Jesus and say, listen, you're insulting us. You're attacking us. We see these words that you're saying, and they're mean. The word that is used for insult is an incredibly strong word in the Greek that's like verbal assault. But Jesus is not being mean in this passage. He's being kind. Growing up, I had a great aunt, Aunt Alice, and she was practically deaf. And we visited her a couple of times, and when you were around her, you had to shout in order for her to hear. Aunt Alice! Thank you for this food. Your voice would be exhausted being around Alice, but you shouted so that she could hear, so that she could know you, so that she could understand what you were saying. And that is what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's shouting at these Pharisees because he wants them to hear. 
because they struggle with hearing. He says that this is the spirit that is, that is in them, the spirit that was in their fathers. He talks about how their fathers killed the prophets because they didn't want to hear God's voice. He says, that's your heart too. You don't want to hear God's voice. You want to kill God's voice. They didn't want to be exposed or challenged by God's voice in their life. They didn't want him to show them their heart. But Jesus saw their heart, and he, the true great prophet, in flesh, God before them, was speaking to them words to call them to repent. And like a true prophet, he was right that they didn't want to hear it. And verses 53 and 54 show us that the way they responded to Jesus is shouting at them in love was to try to provoke him, to trap him, to get him to say or do something that they could use to shut him down. They hated God's voice. And they hated Jesus because he was speaking to them the truth that they did not want to hear. This heart of not listening is what breeds hypocrisy and what kills holiness. And Jesus saw this heart in them. But you know what is beautiful? What shows Jesus' heart is that he did not stay away from them. He did not stop speaking to them. He went in and ate with them here. He, he went and he would dine with sinners and, and tax collectors, but he also would dine with Pharisees. He did not stay away from them. But he went in to eat with them, to speak with them. He answered their questions and he taught them just as he did all the people. He made the effort to shout at them that they could hear him. Jesus had a generous heart even to these, his enemies, who he knew wanted to kill him. This passage is not of one of Jesus rejecting the Pharisees, rejecting the lawyers, but pleading with them, lovingly shouting at them in their deafness so that they could see that there was a danger ahead, that the bridge was out and they were heading for destruction. We see this in the, the parallel passage to this in Matthew 23, where, after Jesus spoke the seven woes, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you and your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus did not reject the Pharisees. He did not reject the hypocrites. He pursued them. He ate with them. He put his life in their hands with the hopes that they would listen to him. And this is good news for you and me, that he has grace for hypocrites, that he has grace for Pharisees. He has grace for all who will allow the darkness in their heart to be exposed, that they might hold it out to God for him to heal. So we don't have to protect our heart to guard it from the darkness being exposed, but we can allow it to come because we know we have a generous Savior who will take it and heal it and cleanse it. He is a generous Savior. He was willing to, to bring the Pharisees to himself, but they were not willing to give their hearts to him. He came and he lived amongst us to show us the generous heart of God for sinners. He came knowing that he would be put to death, the ultimate rejection of God's voice. We would kill holiness itself as it walked among us because we want to live our own way. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. 
He did not just tithe his life, give a portion, but he gave it all out of the abundance of his love, all that he had for us. And that is why we can trust him with our hearts. Because we know that he is generous and good and he wants to give to us. And this is the heart of God, to gather us, to protect us under his wings, even when we struggle to listen. We want to protect ourselves because we think that we are the ones who really have a heart of love for ourselves. We want to trust ourselves and think that, that we alone can protect us. But when we do that, we are in danger. And so Jesus shouts at times at us to say, look and see me, listen to me, give your heart to me, trust me with it. I will do what is right and good for it. And the most mature Christians I know are the ones that do that regularly, deeply, holding out their hearts to God and say, show me where I need to change. Show me where the darkness lies. Humbly and confidently asking God to show them what they don't see. They want to have their heart exposed so that God can heal it. And this is why we have an opportunity, a blessing, even in the midst of this trial, because we get to see our hearts. Even this morning, someone came up to me as I was sitting and having coffee, getting ready, and, and asked me to use my phone charger. And my first thought is, social distancing! I'm not going to let you touch my phone charger. But I said, yes. They were in need. They needed to charge their phone to call someone. I said, yes. I didn't want to, but I did. Because I'm called to have a generous, sacrificial heart, to see this life not as mine to hold for myself, but mine to serve and give, because that is what God does for us. And this is how the church grew in its early years, was they didn't pull back when people were in need, but they pushed in. They pushed into Rome in the midst of the plague and cared for the sick that others would abandon. This is how people saw God, because they saw God's heart lived out in his people in their love. And we as a church must consider the way that we can do this. To not be hypocrites and think, I have to just talk about God's love, but not actually love. But, but instead, to in this time, to see this as an opportunity to show the gospel. So how can we wisely love our neighbors, wisely love our community? Perhaps it's to be concerned by hygiene. <laughs> Perhaps you need to listen to authorities that God put over us and, and to not ignore the recommendations and say, this is all just blown out of proportion. But a generous heart does not say, I'll be fine. I can do what I want. It says, what is good for my neighbor? What is good for my community? And we can do this because we know that God has a heart of generosity for us. And we know that we don't have to protect our life because it's his. As Paul says in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this time of fear and uncertainty, God's love is what we need to listen to most. God's love is what we need to see most. We need to allow our heart to be exposed to the places that we don't trust his love 
so that that love can go more deeply into our heart. Is your response in this time showing a heart of generosity or a heart of fear? Give him your heart. Give your heart generously to God and to others. Pray that he shows his generosity through you to others. Because you know that God does not abandon his children. Give him your heart. Give him your life. And you will know his love deeply. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you for your grace and goodness to us. And that we can entrust our heart, our soul, our life to you with confidence. Because we know that you are good. We know that you are generous. And we see it clearly in the cross. May that comfort us and challenge us in this time to live a life of love. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.